0: This is an ABC podcast. Welcome to Speaking Out.
1: We're mainly discussing
0: land rights and economic empowerment. Aboriginal enterprises in mining exploration. I just and energy. to talk a little bit
2: about uh, indigenous constitutional recognition. Those two
0: with Larissa Behrendt. It's a fresh view coming on ABC Radio.
1: And the idea was that we would create an anthology um, so that when World Pride came around and there was uh, almost a a kind of a laser focus on First Nations mob and our culture, that we would have words gathered together to be able to show the world who we are. A collection
3: of First Nations LGBTQIA plus poets, writers and storytellers and an Indigenous oral history project held as part of Sydney's World Pride.
4: My pride is in my Aboriginality, it's also in my gayness, so there's that, but there's also that pride of the people that we've lost along the way, and they've given us pride because of the things that they've done.
3: This is Speaking Out. I'm Larissa Berendt. The World Pride Festival kicked off in Sydney recently. It's the first time the city has hosted the event with thousands gathering in appreciation of the LGBTQIA community. The event coincides with the annual Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras. It's been 35 years since the first Indigenous float joined the celebrations in 1988, an important moment in the push to increase visibility of Indigenous members of the rainbow community. And if that isn't enough, a new groundbreaking collection of First Nations Australian LGBTQIA plus poets, writers and storytellers has been released. Edited by Alison Whittaker and Stephen Lindsay Ross, Nangame Mana Jurali or Dream Gather Grow, First Nations Australian LGBTQIA plus SB Poetry provides an opportunity for the queer Indigenous community to find their voice. Alison and Stephen, join me now. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Now, Stephen, it's been a long time since we've had you on the program, so I wonder if you could share with us where you grew up and what shaped your worldview.
5: I am a wamba-wamba queer man from Denelequin in southern New South Wales, and I have a bloodline connection to Gundijmara, Wiradjuri, and uh, the Muddy Muddy peoples from down south as well through my grandmother. So I spent a lot of time growing up down south around the Murray River and college at our river in Deniliquin, but I moved back and forth between uh, Sydney uh, and Deniliquin. So kind of have a bit of um, country and a bit of rock and roll.
3: <laughs> a foot in both worlds as we like That's to right. say. Um, and Alison, you obviously have many talents, but one of them is writing, writing poetry and writing in general. How did you get into that form of creative expression?
1: My journey towards writing poetry, I guess, uh, began with the Black and White Project in Queensland, where I was mentored under the tutelage of another First Nations queer poet, uh, Ellen Van Niven, and edited also by Grace Lucas-Pennington, a Bundjalung poet uh, and editor who now heads up the Black and White Project. Um, and for me, it was so exciting. The, the first collection of poems I wrote was called Lemons in the Chicken Wire. And at the time... Um, even though there was this massive precedent of First Nations, queer and trans writing uh, behind me, it felt like maybe there was just beginning to be, um, uh, I I guess, a small crack in the door that mob were really ready to kind of burst through and more fully emerge on the scene to take control of the conversations about us and our own lives. Uh, And back in 2016, when Lemons and the Chicken Wire came out, it um, felt... with with a couple of other queer First Nations books on the shelves, like it was, um, uh, I wouldn't say isolated, but yet to kind of reach that um, that recognition or that cognizability to a mainstream readership Uh, and to see over the last couple of years the, the massive groundswell of work that First Nations queer people have been doing through poetry and through writing especially to, to become legible and to diversify the conversations uh, about ourselves and to also prioritise talking to each other about poetry, ideas, contesting them amongst ourselves. It's so thrilling and exciting. Um, it's really special to reflect on that today. Stephen, I was
3: going to ask you about what drew you into the arts, and I do want you to answer that question, but I'm struck listening to um, Alison that... um You know, you actually were a generation before her and a lot of the work that you've done in the creative industries is also about just creating space for First Nations people. It's a very different era that you started doing this work in. But what originally drew you in to wanting to work in uh, the creative industries arts space?
5: I think it's just being surrounded by people who immersed themselves in culture. All my uncles played musical instruments um, that they learnt themselves by rote, and they're all incredible singers. I went to Nasda in 1993 for a couple of years. And again, I think just being surrounded by people that have just been creative, I kind of lent into writing right throughout my uh, you know high school and primary school years and then really nurtured and encouraged by the beautiful Anita Heiss, who asked me to submit a couple of poems for a book uh, she edited uh, in the 90s, I think it was, about writers living on Gadigal country, and I submitted a couple of poems uh, to that uh, anthology. So, yeah, it's just being immersed and I guess being part of a culture where arts and cultural practice and song and dance are just part of who we are and how we express ourselves and how we live,
3: Alison, I just wanted to also ask you about how your um, experiences studying law going to Harvard also shaped your perspective because, you know, you, uh, you, you bring a diversity of um, interests and experience and yeah. you, you work, you know, on some very difficult, very hard social justice issues mm. and then also write this, this beautiful, miraculous <laughs> poetry. And I, I wonder from your perspective how those different parts of your professional life,
1: your creative life, your intellectual life come together. It's a fantastic question and it's also, it's one I, I get a lot. I think a lot about lot, the, the way that mob have mobilised, particularly using poetry and quote-unquote protest writing as a way of litigating uh, on the public stage uh, demands, political demands that emerge from our own sovereignty that are not necessarily cognizable to settler Australian law. And I see any kind of, I guess, legal work, whether that be direct service or strategic litigation, sitting really neatly alongside the, the public battle of ideas that's fought largely by mob, um, using poetry, as Stevie said, using dance and song. These two things, I think it's so necessary that they work together, ultimately because we're, our power I suppose, as litigants, whether that be in courts, whether that be in the public domain, is the extent to which that we can build and organise with one another. And I see poetry as a really useful tool for doing that, for bringing people together. Um, So, yeah, I suppose that's how I'd answer that. Obviously, there's
3: been an evolution over time, but there are still obviously a lot of issues Um, a lot of barriers, a lot of conversations that still need to uh, happen. How do you navigate issues around Indigenous identity, culture and sexuality?
1: I think over time, um, when I was a younger person, I saw these two parts of myself as almost being kind of violently torn from one another. And I was trying to find a way to, to kind of bring them back together within myself. But as I've gotten older, as I've become more secure in my identity, um, and also as um, the the public conversation as well as our, our private ones have become more more sophisticated and grounded, I think that conversation within myself has become easier. and I no longer see those two things as being artificially separated, which I think is what a, a lot of earlier discourse would kind of have us believe. And part of that realization um, as as Stevie was referring to um, was, Remembering the the mass um, the mass effort that brought us to this place that hasn't just been happening now. a lot of young first Nations queer and trans people are uh, given this narrative of exceptionalism that we 've just emerged on the scene now or that you know we are uh, pushing back against things that had never been pushed back against before, and obviously that's just untrue. Uh, I was looking at the, the exhibition that Stevie curated uh, related to the anthology we'll be talking about today. Uh, and a part of that exhibition in Bumali was um, a, a huge printout of a letter that was sent in 1993, which is the year that I was born in, uh, asking um, Bumali to collaborate on an exhibition for gay and lesbian queeries. And I kind of sat with this letter, which is kind of blown up to the size of the wall. And it was also taller than me in that time. Uh, and it was such a potent reminder that um, this fight, not just for inclusion, but to have our own radical imagination for what it means for us as First Nations queer and trans people, I, it was humbling. And um, in, in moments like these, you remember that often individualised conversations about identity are so small when we think about the bigger question of how we as queer and trans mob relate to one another. And I think that's, um, that's my position now. The new collection of poetry from members of the First
3: Nations LGBTQIA plus community has been released, as we've been mentioning.
1: Where did the idea come from to put this collection together? This idea... Um, I jumped on it a little bit later down the track. Uh, but it came from the revitalization of Black Books at Tranby, so Black Books being a community-led uh, Black publisher, uh, and Tranby Aboriginal College, of course, being uh, the absolutely <laughs> enormous uh, institution that's had so much impact on Black public life here today. The idea was that we would create an anthology um, so that when World Pride came around and there was uh, almost a, a kind of a laser focus on First Nations mob and our culture, that we would have... Have words gathered together to be able to show the world who we are, uh, and to be able to speak on our own behalf, um, and that's of course happening in Sydney World Pride, not just on the page, not just in this anthology, but elsewhere as well in, in carriage works and in the black space that's been created there, as well as everywhere that mob kind of appear in Sydney World Pride. But the the process of gathering it together. Moved me, I think, in, in ways that I was very surprised as someone who's been writing um, poetry for a little while and who's also been collaborating with other uh, queer First Nations poets to see just the massive submissions that we received um, and the the ways in which those works had relationships to one another. There was this moment where Stevie and I were in Tranby uh, with Tony Duke, who has been um, really championing and managing uh, this project at Black Books. Uh, with all of the poems printed out on A4 pieces of paper lined up across a massive table and just the enormity of um, uh, intellectual rigour, imagination, passion, power, smuttiness, uh, delight, joy, rage. It was all there. Um, And it, yeah, I guess for me really underscored the importance of this being part of the voice that we present to the world while there's um, so much queer and trans attention on here on Sydney and Gadigal Country and Darragh Country. Might bring you in
3: now, Stevie, just to get your reflections on why for you this collection was so important and what the curating process meant for you.
5: I was approached early on by Tony Duke from Black Books to write, to to be part of something. And we we weren't sure. And I think his original idea was something around like a similar to a queer stories type um model where you know writers would you know talk about um their experiences but you know kind of long form and um prose rather than uh the anthology the way it is now and i i've always loved poetry and i've you know loved um uh the urgency of poetry Mm. and all the other descriptors allison uh just said and uh so I suggested, you know, I think that's a better approach. I think it's different. And as it turned out, it's the first queer uh, First Nations poetry anthology. Um, so the cur- curatorial processes, uh, Alison alluded to, kind of uh, validated all of that. That They were just incredibly beautiful, profound works. Um, I don't know if easy is the right word, Alison, but the curatorial process just like it was so joyful and mm. We were just so taken aback by the number and the quality of the Mm. works that it just felt like a just to be part of just a beautiful process. Uh, It kind of just flowed, don't you think? It just kind of happened. Yeah, it was a joyful gig to be part of.
1: Obviously, everyone listening is going to want a copy. How can they get one? Yeah, absolutely. You can go to (laughs) blackbooks.online and and find the shop there. Yeah, or you can go to any reputable bookseller and maybe some unreputable ones.
3: It's mm. wonderful, and you, it's almost like you are World Pride with all of those projects. But thank you both for being on Speaking Out. Some You're pleasure. welcome.
0: Happy Pride. This is Speaking Out.
3: That's the key to it all, keeping connected to country.
0: On ABC Radio.
6: Yiridhi Hello, my name is Jazz Money. I'm a Wiradjuri a poet and artist, currently based sort of between Gadigal and Dja land. This piece is called Red Belly Black Snake. It was the first poem I ever wrote for the woman who I'm now married to. And so everything really worked out quite well from this one. It's set on beautiful Darrell country. Red Belly Black Snake The first time I knew I would hold you always A mother, red belly black snake glided by as we loved Underneath the eyes of the Illawarra, blessing us. She was all fertility and love and safety. The birds knew us, in the old languages, saw the love we were going to grow. I collected little branches from above our heads, a token of a sacred place. It felt like we were returning and being returned to the land that two women have laid together under these trees always. And we were welcome once again.
3: That's poet and artist Jazz Money. Their work is featured in a new collection of First Nations LGBTQIA poetry. The work is edited by Gomoroy poet and academic Alison Whitaker alongside Womba Womba writer, curator and producer Stephen Lindsay Ross.
0: This is Speaking Out.
3: That's the key to it all. Keeping connected to country.
0: On ABC Radio.
3: This is Speaking Out on ABC Radio, Radio National Radio Australia, on podcast and the ABC Listen app. I'm Larissa Berendt and if you like what you're hearing, why not rate us on your app and that way other people can find us and hear our stories too. Sydney has been abuzz recently with World Pride and Mardi Gras celebrations taking over the city in celebration of both pride and diversity. Coming up, we hear from First Nations members of the Rainbow community who share their stories of embracing their sexuality in a world that has not always been accommodating. That was Electric Fields with Polkapa, which means happy to the traditional owners of APY lands in the remote northwest of South Australia. As you heard earlier, Sydney is the focus of the global celebration that cultivates pride in LGBTQIA plus communities, the first time ever in the Southern Hemisphere. But how do you enact pride when you've spent much of your life fighting, not just racism, but homophobia, sometimes painfully within your own community? The Moorabah Indigenous Oral History Project is part of an exhibition for Sydney World Pride, curated by the very busy Stevie Ross, who we heard from earlier. The idea was to bring forth the often hidden stories of our black queer community from those who were there at a defining period in the rights struggles of the 70s and 80s and beyond at the nexus of Indigenous culture and sexuality. The ABC's editor of Indigenous Radio, Daniel Browning, has travelled the country to find those everyday activists and community members who blazed a trail for others. Daniel asked them all to reflect on the question of pride. Is it one that resonates with them or has it been trademarked? And what does it mean to live in pride and how do you cultivate it in others? These were just some of the questions Daniel put to those he spoke to. I'm Deborah
2: Cheatham. I'm sitting here in the Library of the Sydney Conservatorium of Music, which is my alma mater. And since leaving here, I've had such a rewarding career of of many opportunities. They all began in our beautiful gay and lesbian community as we knew it back in the day, in the eighties. And since then, I guess I'm known as the artistic director of Short Black Opera, Australia's Indigenous First Nations Opera Company, uh, I'm also a composer, a soprano, and I just feel really honoured to be talking to you, Daniel. We've we've known each other for a long time now.
0: When I think of the word pride, I think of you coming out on stage in some <laughs> fabulous gown.
2: No, I like to frock up as a soprano does. I like a sense of occasion, and I don't think we're any strangers to that. As First Nations people, we would paint up with great intricacy of the body paint creating a sense of occasion with with all of the craft and creativity at our disposal so for me in a concert sense that will be you know the big gowns but you know the universal language in all of this of course is music it's how I know the world my partner Nicolette is also a musician she's a conductor Music gives you the, the, the opportunity to know yourself on a far deeper level than just about any other means that I can think of because it just can transmit a truth into your soul. Maybe it bypasses the analytical. Uh, maybe it speeds up the process of an analysis. But in any case, it embeds a truth in the soul like nothing else does. It all makes sense because arts were not siloed in traditional cultures. It's something that came later on when people wanted to, you know, capitalise on and exploit, I suppose. And so you have these specialists who some know how to collaborate and speak with one another and when they do you get great art and some don't at all and that's when you get something that's rather puzzling because it doesn't seem to fit together, and it should fit together, because it was always meant to be together. The singer is the dancer and the dancer is the painter and the painter is the storyteller.
0: When I see you come out on stage in those fabulous gowns, where do you summon that, that pride from? And we're talking about world pride. What about individual pride and pride as a blackfella and all those other kind of questions? Where do you get your pride from?
2: I get it from my ancestors and what they did, and the strength and resilience that they showed, and the determination to still be here, to be the granddaughter of, or the great granddaughter of one of the people you didn't massacre, to be someone who has had the song passed down to them. I might be singing it with a different tune, but it's a song nevertheless. I'm proud of that. I'm proud to be the sum total of my parts to survive the homophobia of those early years. I've never had internalised homophobia. I'm grateful for that. I've always just felt, well, this is who I am. Isn't everyone like this? Empowered? <laughs> I do feel empowered. But my ancestors were an incredibly resilient group of people. You know, during the pandemic in 2020 2021, in Melbourne... I lived through the pandemic and we had lockdowns but we also had curfews and if you wanted to go more than five kilometres from your home you needed a permit and the permits and the curfews triggered me massively because I knew that was my grandmother's experience except she was living in the sort of deprivation of no real roof over her head, dirt floor, kerosene tin flattened out for a wall, you know, hessian bags for curtains Yeah, I didn't know that kind of hardship. But she knew permits and curfews her entire life and it really triggered in me. And I had to get past that because I knew that I was living in a kind of a luxury compared to what my grandparents had had. And in the end, it was a strength that I was able to draw on. I do feel empowered. I, I know that I'm here to help people... My role in life is to help people understand and to have a deeper self-knowledge. And I think I'm able to do that because I've had to do it for myself as well.
4: My name's Colin Ross. I am a very proud Aboriginal Dinnaburra man. Pride. My pride is in my aboriginality it's also in my gayness I like the word homo I like the word homosexual I like it when my mother told me that she used to hang out with all the gay boys in Bundaberg who work for the local radio station mind you I said, Mum, you didn't tell me that. She said, no. When I told my mum that I was gay, she said, I'm glad you're happy, son. And my auntie, that one up there in the photograph, said, no, he doesn't mean that. He means that he's homosexual. And that was the word that came out of her mouth. But I've always liked that. It's got, a, it's got a maleness thing about it. So that's where my queer pride, gay pride comes from. When I started hearing about the word pride, I looked at who was around me. And I included myself in that. And clearly there was a pride there. What wasn't there was the acceptance. Not in the person, but in the family. My family give me pride because they are so accepting of my gayness. There's always questions about my gayness or my queerness and I'm, I don't hide it. Not anymore, I don't hide it. I like black pride. And it's... I, th- I think it's universal now because if you look at the Americans, I'm talking about black Americans. But I also like that whole thing of... Aboriginal pride, Aboriginal gay pride. But it's like, if you say your mob, like Ginaburra, my Ginaburra gay pride. There's been a few bumpy things there, but um, in the sense of my mob saying things like, he's so gay, and this is coming from a straight man, but... What I do with that is I turn it around so I put it in a way where I like it or I love it. It's like when I was a kid, I got called Queenie and it wasn't just Queenie, it was Queenie dot, 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 dot. And I thought... No, what, Queenie from the Scrub, Queenie from the Bush. One of the things that I like about pride and it's it's organisational pride too because I'm really proud of Anukana and the things that Anukana's done. I'm really proud of the people that have been involved in it because that's what's given it strength. So it's about being stronger together. I have pride in our white allies who have helped us along the way. And I think that that's a fantastic thing because they stuck their necks out. They stuck up for us when times were hard. So... So there's that, but there's also that pride of the people that we've lost along the way and they've given us pride because of the things that they've done, the strength that they've given us. So I see strength and strongness in pride. I think that's probably what the most important thing is to me. I want our people not to have to hide who they are.
7: My name's Sue Pinkham. I'm really proud and have pride because I have worked hard, have been honest and trust that the things that I do and believe in have value.
0: And did you, have you always had a sense of pride? I guess it's something that you've you've had to nurture. I wasn't born with a sense of pride. Nah. Um, You you have to experience what it is like to have none, to to know what pride actually is.
7: Yeah, I think I had to work really hard to get, to actually know what pride was to start with, and then I had to work even harder to think that I deserved it and then continue working to believe that I had it Mm -hmm. and to understand what that did to my life. Mm -hmm. And I think right now I have pride because I've worked through lots of ups and downs and speed humps have gotten in the way, but I have pride in myself for being able to get to the age that I'm at being somebody who is safe for people to come to when they need somebody to nurture, when they want to put down their baggage for a little while, but come back and deal with that baggage. Hmm. I feel my pride is to open doors and... I think that's probably where I feel better in allowing pri- my pride to sit with me is that I can't stop opening doors and making change.
0: And also, I think what in looking over your very long career, what I'm seeing is this, 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 this um, drive towards making places safe and mm-hmm. making people feel safe. So this is... I'm talking about Rainbow Mob, I'm talking about, you know, blackfellas who identify as uh, LGBTQI+, you know, creating cultural safety, if you can, around uh, that identi- those identities has really kind of been what you've been about.
7: Yeah, yep. And I think as well trying to teach other people not to be as judgmental and to open their minds so that they're making it safer for us to actually access services. So I think a lot of what I've done has been around...
0: Pride-oriented, delivering, yeah. giving pride to others.
7: Yeah, yeah. And I didn't think about no, it like no, that at the no, time. No, yeah. no, no. Yeah. It's an
0: organisational concept now, isn't it? I mean, with this thing, world well, pride is big... But yeah. pride itself is something, I think, separate. It's, 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 yeah, it's, absolutely. It's felt absolutely. innately.
7: I mean, well, pride is just a minute little splash in the ocean. The other stuff is lifetime. Mm-hmm. And, and in a, I know,
0: innate and inside us.
7: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know we had a quick yarn earlier mm-hmm. and made connections between our lives mm-hmm. that have made changes happen. Mm-hmm you know, just from relationships across the years and being able to have yarns with people mm. and they take the ripple effect is what I'm getting at here, the ripple effect, you know, you you say something to someone and they take that back to their workplace and they're... They're in agreement with what you've said, but they take that into their workplace and so that ripple effect happens somewhere else even though you're not there mm. you know and that's
0: feel like black grapevine but just like you know all the, the things that we're saying the things that we're talking about the communication we're having today has, has an effect, will have an effect yeah hopefully.
7: yeah yeah you know a bit like mm. that captain cook outfit mm, the...
0: Cole's captain cook outfit
7: yeah, yeah. The, parade. the Lame flag going sideways up Oxford <laughs> Street. That, you know, the, that stuff has ongoing.
0: We don't think so at the time, though. Again, you can say this because you were right there at that moment.
7: Yep. But now yep.
0: looking back on our history, a long involvement with Sydney gay and lesbian Mardi Gras mm. is these things that us mob, who you call rain, the rainbow, you know, rainbow community, ra- rainbow mob. Um, we have made big changes and we don't kind of stand back and go,
8: hey, look, gee, I did that.
1: Yeah, no. We
7: need
8: to reflect more on why we're proud and, and what we've done.
7: Yeah, yep.
8: My name's Peter Waples Crow and Naya Narigu. I am Narigu from the high countries of New South Wales, but I find myself living here in Nam for the last about 20 years. I identify, you know, I used to say I was a gay man, but I actually prefer queer. I think it's become my preferred term. Um, I know sometimes there's issues around it in some of the um our elders and stuff, but I think it's good to challenge that as well. Um so I don't know if I probably is queer, my pronouns are he and they. Um I think I've, you know, at my age I've learnt from the amazing young people in the community as well. Um it's that intergenerational conversation that means a lot to me. Um, and in back in the day, do I have to say, how old or? <laughs> but, you know, we didn't have a much selection of who we were and, and they were all quite derogative and yeah. So yeah, I embrace queer fully. Yeah. I am a visual artist. Um, yeah, I've, I've always done art forever and ever. So yeah. And I'm, I'm an Aboriginal health worker as well. So study public health as well. So I do that and do art as well. I think that they both combine and they feed off each other. And I get to be creative in my health work as well and do lots of visual stuff and work with younger queer mob as well to design things. And it's fun. I really enjoy it. The concept of pride, I don't know. I'm proud that I'm here now, you know. I'm proud that I'm here now. I'm here um, that I've had trials and Great times, bad times, um, but I'm still here and I'm making art. And, yeah, um, I mean, we've got our own festival here in Melbourne, the Midsummer, which is on at the moment. I've got some billboards and it's called Queer on Country, you know. So I'm just looking back at them, they're symbolic and they're talking. Uh, they're, yeah, I don't know. That's what pride is to me, you know, just being kind as well, you know, being always trying to be really loving and try not to do harm no it's not all about wearing a rainbow or glitter or you know it's about respecting people it's about you know i just want a world where we're really respected as well you know and respecting our differences respecting their diversity and understanding that diversity you know i think there's a lot in that Mm -hmm. it's not just an abstract concept or a word
0: i mean to me it's you can't claim that word unless you have done what you've done and it's come from you know risen through your pride or or actually found your pride
8: through trauma yeah i think i found my pride through trauma um i'd acknowledge that um but i never gave up you know like i just kept going there's probably times when i could have um and I'm at a new point now. So I just, you know, pride's a lifelong thing as well, you know. Um, yeah, if you're having it, mad times can change, you know, as well. You know, hold on and be resilient. I know we overuse that word resilience, but um, just keep putting that foot in front of another and just keep walking forward. And, yeah, you never know what's around the corner. I used to think, you know, as an artist, my art wasn't Blackfellow enough, you know, so... um, But what is that? You know, I always ask that question, what is Blackfellow art? I guess we all can, you know. Um, Yeah, and then one day I I won a prize at one of the art awards and it was so amazing. But that, I don't know, I've just always made art as well, so if you've got a creative passion... Just nurture it, you know. Even if it, you can't give, dedicate it to it full time, you know, you just keep doing it and in bits of it. Um, and with the ebbs and flows of life, you know, more and more, sometimes you'll have more opportunity to do more of it. And I don't know. That's what I'd say to creativity. Um, be aware. Just what's around you. Be mindful. Yeah, and just go forward. Yep. And how you love more deeply within our own mob, within
0: Blackfellow mob, but also within you know queer queer spaces and queer community. I think there's no love. You, you you aren't behaving in a loving or prideful way. I can't believe in the mirage that you're creating about pride or whatever it is, identity. If you behave this way towards me, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know what to say to that. I just think I just think sometimes we can't be proud if 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 our communities aren't making us proud, yeah. or just treating us in a way that, that 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 doesn't make us feel proud.
8: Yeah. No, I agree. We need we need to um, support each other. Basically, yeah, we Love do. More Love more deeply. Um, try to look past your own. Um, I don't know what it is Judge with people judgment. Yeah. I think I did one of those hold-up poster signs, you know, don't, I don't want to be judged because I've felt I've been judged a lot, you know, my whole life, you know. Um, I wish that word, that judgment word would just disappear, but judgment, yeah, it has to stop.
2: Yeah, when I stand on stage, I've always been out. I've never been closeted in any, any forum. It's cost me. When I was chief of parade for Mardi Gras in 2006 and my then partner and our daughter when we rode in the Cadillac at the head of the parade. The next week I was sacked from my job for that. Many years before that. When I was
0: teaching music at a private school. I was school. teaching
2: music at MLC School in Burwood and um, a new principal came in and she basically rid the whole school of all the gay and lesbian stuff. And I was one of the casualties of that. Private schools can still do whatever the hell they want. They've always been able to. But, yeah, I've, I've had devastating things happen on the basis of my sexuality, but nothing would convince me to be anything less than what I am. What else do I have? Like, this is who I am. And I have to be that to be authentic, don't I? What else would you be? And for whom? Who, who, would, you, who would you silence part of your own spirit? for. Who would you do that for? I I don't know. I can't do that. So you have to accept me as I am or, you know, that's not that those things weren't devastating at the time. Losing that job in 1991 at MLC was, it was catastrophic and I did fall apart and I didn't know how I would recover from that.
0: And after that high point, that Chief of Parade, 2006, Mardi Gras, history repeated itself
2: Yes, it has cost me on occasion uh, my identity on many occasions and the various parts of my identity. Uh, I would say my identity as an Aboriginal woman and a lesbian has excluded me from many main stage experiences in this this country. (laughs) Yeah. But I have the resilience of my grandmother to say, well, I'm going to draw on that.
0: What are the things that you are most proud of in in this life of yours?
7: I'm proud of making places safe. I'm proud of making people believe in themselves. Years ago, I supported these young lads coming out and I have watched them grow and I've watched them become the supports for other people coming out, Mm. go home to their communities and be challenged in their communities. About, but,
0: the, about their sexuality.
7: Yeah, mm-hmm. about their sexuality. But then watch them perform in their communities.
0: And stand in their pride.
7: Oh, stand in their pride but be paid to get out there and do their drag shows in the local community. And they then are the ones that other younger people are going to, saying... You've given me the safe ground for me to come out now. Mm. You've helped me. That makes me really proud, you know, and I'm still in contact with those. Well, they're not young anymore, and I actually giggle when we all see each other, and they call me mum, you know, and I giggle and I go like, yep, and I'm watching the hair go white on them now. I'm going, yep, well, mm mm-hmm. It's lovely. I'm very proud of that. It's intergenerational safety. Mm. I'm proud of that.
4: I've seen the young ones who are full of pride and go home and they've been proud of who they are and they've been proud of what they learnt, only to be vilified, crucified for expressing who they are as young people in the world. We don't want that anymore. We want them to hold that pride. Um, there's danger in pride, and I think that we have to understand that too. I think that it's that stuff that sometimes doesn't go away. But I think the strength of it all of us all together, and that's the thing that I. I'm really looking forward to in Sydney is that the pride of the black collective, the black Aboriginal collective that's going to gather there and give us all strength and make us all feel strong and have pride in who we are when we all gather. That whole collective thing around pride for but not only Sydney for all of us, everywhere, no matter where we are. I mean, I know, you know I know people who live out in isolated areas who are really proud, and they do, and they're so their their communities are proud of them, and they hold that pride within that community and the respect around that. Pride is also about honesty too, so it's about that, and yeah, it's feeling good feeling good about yourself, feeling great about yourself. You know, it's that. It's not the colour of your skin. It's not about that. Pride is for everyone. That's what I'd like to think.
2: You know, in 2008, I realised that I didn't want to be the only Indigenous opera singer making a living and uh, I knew that there would be plenty of uh, Indigenous musicians who, who loved classical music as I did. I couldn't possibly be the only one. So go out there and find them and create opportunities for them. That's what I've done with the Opera Company and now with uh, Ensemble du Tala, which is our instrumental chamber ensemble. We're doing the same thing for kids, young kids from the age of about eight up to, well, Short Black Opera in, in 2022, I'm very proud to say, put the first Indigenous conductor in front of a state orchestra. And that was Aaron White this year with MSO. When he's conducting everybody now. So there's an appetite for it, but maybe not always the vision for it. So that's where I have, I have to bring the vision for that.
0: I guess proud, the proudest moment, and I keep harking back to this idea of pride because I think it's very complicated.
2: I'm proud when a student comes up to me after 30 years and I might have taught them for a few months and they'll come up to me and say, you made all the difference to me. I love music because you were my teacher, or I've done this in my life because you were my teacher. Just the other day, a student who I couldn't have taught her for more than a month or two months, after I was forced to resign from Methodist Ladies College in Burwood, I did some teaching at North Sydney Girls High, the best teaching I've probably done anywhere. Great school, great music program. And a student who'd had been in year seven at that time, she came up to me at the Opera House just the other night and said, I want you to meet my children because what you did for me at that school, I've tried to pass that on to them. Knowing that you've done some good in the world, that you've been a positive force uh, in someone's life, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the works that I've written that have helped Australians understand what it is to belong to this continent. Peak and Summer, certainly. Wang Lifts the Sky, my new opera, yes. But uh, Umarella, A War and for Peace, is probably the big one because that conversation around resistance wars, it's so important to understand that the conflicts that took place on this country, the lives that were lost the passion and the defence of this land that First Nations people demonstrated in those early brutal years of colonisation and ever since. It's important that we know that. So I think, broadly, I'm proud of anything I've done that has helped people to understand their own belonging better because I know how important that is, coming from a point where I didn't understand my belonging at all um, to being able to claim that eventually as an adult, as I do, I know how enriching that is. So I want that for everybody.
3: Pride is drawn from an oral history project called Moorabah, First Nations LGBTQI plus trailblazers for Sydney World Pride. You heard from the voices of some of our superheroes, Deborah Cheatham, Colin Ross, Peter Waples Crow and Sue Pinkham, along with Kutcher Brown, Gary Lee, Philip McGinnis, Gary Lang, Sydney Sultner and the baby of the group Ginny Jane Smith. The Murrabah Project was curated by Stephen Ross and Nick Henderson and our own Daniel Browning was behind the mic. As part of the Oral History series, which will be deposited in the Australian Queer Archives, there's an exhibition of photographs by Joseph Mayers with a QR code activated audio at Carriageworks that runs for the duration of Sydney World Pride that's the show for this week join us again next week when we celebrate International Women's Day by highlighting Indigenous women in the media This episode of Speaking Out was produced by Jay McAllister and Manel Creed. You can email the program speakingout at abc.net.au and find us on social media via ABC Indigenous. I'm Larissa Berendt.
0: You've been listening to an ABC podcast.